What's your problem? What's your solution? How do we want our lives to change beyond the COVID-19 virus crisis? That is the question of this special series of CAMP solutions. For Mark Hyman, health, longevity, mental clarity and even happiness begin with what we eat. Hyman wrote many best-selling books from food, what the heck should I eat, to his recent food fix. Food isn't like a medicine, Mark Hyman says, it is our number one tool for vibrant health. Welcome to Camp Solutions. You are a medical doctor, but you say you are a functional medicine doctor. What is that? Oh, well, functional medicine is the future of medicine. Oh. It's an approach which understands that the body is a dynamic system, that everything is interconnected, that our biology is web-like, and that we need to not just focus on diseases and diagnoses, but on root causes, on the complex ecosystem that we are, and learn how to restore health and balance in the system as a way of treating disease rather than suppressing symptoms with medications. From your perspective, what is the bigger threat? What's the bigger danger we face now? Is that indeed that virus? Or is that something else? You talk a lot about food. Yes. Well, here's the truth. We, we are facing many threats. We're facing the threats of the virus. We're facing the economic threats. We're now seeing incredible social unrest and division around social injustice and racism. So we're seeing multiple threats right now that are all coming together. But what's happening, I believe, is what we call in medicine an acute on chronic problem. So the chronic problem is America is unhealthy and the world increasingly is unhealthy. 75% of us are overweight, 42% are obese. It's driven by our diet. 60% of our diet is processed calories, ultra processed food, which increases your risk of obesity and diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, cancer, and more. And the people who are at most risk of dying and getting very ill from COVID-19 are those with diabetes, high blood pressure, who are overweight. And why? It's because our diet is inflammatory and it's driving these patients to be pre-inflamed. So when the virus hits a pre-inflamed person, it's like gasoline on a fire and an explosion happens called the cytokine storm which is what leads to all the complications and death. It's not the virus itself that's killing us, it's our overreacting immune system. And if our immune system is already primed by our diet, which is highly inflammatory, it's the reason we're seeing the lockdown because we don't over, want to overwhelm our hospitals. And if we actually were a healthy society, we may not be so, so much at risk. You look, for example, at South Korea, where obesity is much low, low, less a problem. Chronic disease is much less a problem. They've done a very good job and they have much less cases and much less death. Worldwide, perhaps every year, some 10 or more million people are dying from bad diets. And so yeah. in a way that, that is a bit far bigger problem. Of course, we have 11 million people dying every year from directly diet related problems which is more people than die from any other cause, including smoking wars and so forth. And it's about as many people died every year in the Holocaust, I mean, in the entire Holocaust and die every year. Yes. Uh, you look at the total global deaths, it's about 75% of all deaths. It's probably closer to 40 million, I believe, are in some ways related to diet, related to chronic illness. 
heart disease, high blood pressure, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's. These are in large part our diet-related illnesses. So we, we actually look at the data in America. It's pretty frightening. 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Mm-hmm. High blood pressure, high blood sugar, high cholesterol. It means 12% are healthy. Yes. All right. And, and those patients who are metabolically unhealthy are pre-inflamed. And this is why COVID is finding such a great home in America. It's because we are uh, an unhealthy population. And that is what's causing us to be more susceptible because the diet, sugar, processed food, it suppresses our immune system. At the same time, it drives inflammation, which is a deadly combo when it comes to COVID-19. So the father of medicine, you know, in ancient Greece, Hippocrates said already, you know, and this is almost 2,500 years ago, let food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. So I guess that is what you subscribe to. Yes, I think people don't understand what food is. In fact, it's, it's not just calories or energy. It's actually information. It's instructions. So that every bite, you're regulating your gene expression, your immune system, your hormones, your brain chemistry, your gut microbiome. Pretty much every function of your body, every system of your body is regulated in one or another, to some degree or another, by what you eat. And if you're putting in bad information, you're going to get a bad biology. And that's what we're seeing today in America and the rest of the world, where now we're seeing over 2 billion people who are overweight. We're seeing chronic disease ravaging developing countries where 80% of the world's type 2 diabetics are in the developing world. So it's not just rich countries, it's poor countries that are suffering now the double burden of obesity and malnutrition. So we, we have a, 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 an incredible uh, situation to face that COVID-19 is bringing to the forefront, but has been here and will be here after it ends. So I think addressing the food system and our food supply is such a critical aspect of dealing with long-term resiliency and health of our population, our economy, and even becoming more pandemic resistant. Well, let's talk about that. And this is your most recent book, which you timed perfectly just before the virus really hit and the pandemic, uh, you know, locked down the whole world. Um, your book, Food, Food Fix. Again, you're a doctor, but a lot of that book is basically politics. It is. And here's the deal. As a physician, I'm sitting in my office treating my patients with chronic illness, and I'm thinking, why are they sick? Well, it's the food. And I've been using food as medicine for years. And then I thought, as a functional medicine doctor, why? Why are they eating the food they're eating? Well, it's because of the food system that produces that food. And why do we have the food system we do? It's the food policies that are driving the food system. And why do we have those food policies? It's industry influencing government policy. And so I was like, well, I can't treat my patients in the office anymore. I can't cure diabetes in my office. It's cured at the farm. It's cured in the grocery store, in the restaurant. It's cured in the kitchen at home. That's where diabetes is cured not in my office. And so I realized I had to think systemically, not just about the body, as I do in functional medicine, but about the entire ecosystem that produces the food and the consequences of it. And as I began to go down that rabbit hole, I realized that it was far more than just chronic disease, which affects six out of 10 Americans, including four out of 10 who have two or more of these chronic illnesses. Uh, It's more than the economic impact of that, which is staggering. Uh, We are going to run out of money in the Medicare trust fund in five years. And uh, one third of our entire federal budget today is for Medicare and healthcare. And it soon will be more than that. Uh, It's not just that, but it's also other issues that came to light, like the environmental destruction 
and the climate change impacts of our food system. And I was shocked to learn that our food system is the number one cause of climate change. I thought it was fossil fuels, but when you put end-to-end -end deforestation, soil erosion, factory farming of animals, transport, refrigeration, food waste, you add it all together, it's about 50% of greenhouse gas emissions. And then I began to realize, well, it also has social impacts. You know, we're seeing, uh, in, particularly in COVID-19, we're seeing the disproportionate impact of this virus on communities of color. Hispanic, African-American, Native American communities are just devastated by this. While there are, for example, 30% of the population in Louisiana and Chicago are African-American, they account for 70% of the deaths. And a lot of that has to do with their underlying poor health that's driven by the food system that is causing them to be unable to access healthy food, making it too expensive, making the cheap stuff too cheap, uh, the unhealthy stuff too cheap, and uh, creating food swamps where they're inundated with all the products that are causing them to become sick. It's complicated, but I do think that it's, it's a huge issue. And then I began to realize, well, it also has to do with kids and academic performance and that mental health issues are related to our diet, that we know very clearly that you know, we can reduce violent crime in prisons by 80% by feeding people healthy diets. Uh, we can cure depression by feeding people healthy diets that we're now even seeing national security being threatened. Yes, so the diet food is critical, but here's the issue, I think. Food is an industry like many others. Do we need investors ultimately at the stock exchange to make money of our food? That, you know, we don't do that with classical music, for instance, and we don't think that would be a good idea, but, but for food we do. And, it very much exacerbates this problem. It is a problem. I mean, a lot of this started with good intentions, right? In the 50s, after World War II, uh, we needed to feed a hungry, growing population. There was innovations in agriculture, with equipment and chemicals and pesticides and fertilizer, which were basically byproducts of the war, which were nerve gases and bomb materials that got turned into agricultural chemicals. And uh, we, we were very good at producing large amounts of starchy calories to feed a hungry world, but we didn't realize, one, how dangerous these agricultural chemicals and farming techniques were to the environment and climate, and two, how bad these large amounts of starchy calories were on human health. But now we do know this, and we have to rethink it. And in fact, most of the world's food is grown by 500 million small farmholders, mm -hmm. and, and these are mostly women on small farms, feeding their families and communities, uh, and they are supplying most of the food. In urban areas, is increasingly the burden of lack of access to healthier foods, and the food industry has really taken over these with fast food restaurants, with highly processed food that's delivered all over the world, and, and this is really the problem. And so we, we have been unregulating this. We have no clear, coherent strategy for regulating this. We, we do have regulations around, for example, the oil industry and natural gas industry, but there are very few regulations around the food industry, which is the largest industry on the planet. Everybody eats. It's a $15 trillion industry. And the problem is really over the last 30 or 40 years since the Reagan administration, when he modified the Sherman Antitrust Act, to allow the mergers of big companies. So there used to be hundreds of seed companies. Now there's four major seed companies. So we've had this incredible consolidation yeah. in the food sector, in the agrochemical sector, in the seed sector, in the fertilizer sector that have really led to a few dozen CEOs controlling the entire food system, which is the biggest industry on the planet. And no one's really playing watchdog or looking at this as a systemic issue. If you would have that opportunity, what would be the one rule you would change or you would add? Or what would you say, this is the critical thing to change the direction of this industry? 
Uh, that's a great, great question. I think there are a number of things that need to happen. Uh, and I think that one of the most important things is to understand that this is a complex, multifaceted problem. And there's not one solution that's going to fix it all. But I think if we start at the farm, we'll go a long way. And here's why. This notion of regenerative agriculture has been emerging over the last few decades that is describing a way of farming that restores the environment, reverses climate change, produces better food, uh, not necessarily ending price supports for commodity crops, which might be challenging, which I think we should do, but just supporting the growth of this, we could actually start to change things around because we would see that one, we produce better food, this drought and flood resistant, weather resistant, climate resistant, that reverses climate change, builds soil, conserves water, uh, is better for the animals, better for the humans, and is more profitable to the farmers. Right now, the average farmer loses $1,600 a year, and if they were able to do regenerative farming, they might make 20 times what their neighbors are making. Companies are now funding farmers to do this. Mm -hmm. So companies like Danone, which is, or Danon, which people know it as, or General Mills are literally paying farmers to convert to regenerative agriculture. Why are they doing this? It's not because they're ecologically minded. It's not because they necessarily care about climate change. It's because they realize that the way we're farming now is destroying the soil, is destroying our ability to grow food in the future, and that their supply chain is threatened unless we change how we're farming. The other thing I would say is that we need to integrate into all of our government policies the notion of food as medicine. We need to put nutrition back in the science of what we're doing, whether it's through reimbursements for food as medicine through Medicare and Medicaid, whether it's through putting nutrition guidelines within the SNAP program or food stamp program, which is now devoid of guidelines for quality and nutrition. I mean, Mm -hmm. Dietary guidelines inform school lunches, they inform the women, infants and health, women, infants and children's program. But uh, for SNAP or food stamps, which is the biggest government food program, it's $735 billion over 10 years. Most of it is used to buy junk food, 75%. 10% is used for soda or 7 billion servings of soda for the poor every year. Or I know it's 10 billion servings of soda for the poor every year. So we have, we have a, a food system that's paradoxically putting the costs on the taxpayer and citizen while privatizing the profits. So we socialize the costs and privatize the profits. That needs to change. We need to put the real cost of the food in the price. If you, for example, take corn, we pay for the crop insurance and subsidies for corn for the farmers. The corn method of growing destroys the soil. Mm -hmm. the nitrogen runs off into the rivers and lakes, killing hundreds of thousands of metric tons of fish every year. Yeah. The glyphosate that's used destroys the microbiome of the soil. Uh, we, we basically promote climate change and environmental degradation and loss of biodiversity through our farming. Who's paying for that? Yeah. Second, we, we turn it into high fructose corn syrup and other industrial food products that we then pay for through SNAP program, billions of dollars through that SNAP program for these products. Then we pay for Medicare and Medicaid on the back end. Now, of course, we are where we are, and you made it already clear that what people need is, is better immune systems. So um, now I'm, I'm in society today and there's a virus and, and, and I, you know, I, I want to take care of myself. What can I do? How, how quickly can I improve? I mean, you mentioned only 12% of Americans are healthy. You know, how quickly can we upgrade that? 
You know, uh, you can get a metabolic tune-up very fast, uh, which is striking when you look at the, the data on this. Uh, just, just a more extreme example is gastric bypass surgery. You can take a patient who's 400 pounds, who has type 2 diabetes, mm-hmm. and within a week or two, their diabetes is gone. Gone. No more insulin, no more medications, no more need for any treatment for their diabetes. Why? Well, they're still overweight, but their diet changed what they put in their bodies changed. So you can rapidly change your metabolic health by doing a number of key things. One, don't eat industrial food. Just don't eat processed food. If it has ingredients you can't pronounce, you can't recognize that you don't have in your kitchen cabinet, don't eat it. If it's pulverized food, don't eat it. If it's whole foods, you can eat it. Whole grains, beans, nuts and seeds, clean animal protein, lots and lots of veggies, fruit, good fats, olive oil, these are simple principles that everybody agrees on. Uh, now, some people say, well, I want to be eating meat. Fine. You can be a healthy vegan. It's a little harder, but you can. Uh, it's particularly important to cut out sugar and starch to improve your metabolic health. Mm-hmm. It's particularly important to have adequate protein intake. Why protein intake? Because protein is critical to build your immune system. Next, you need to include foods that are medicinal. All right. So the rainbow of colors in your plant kingdom are all medicines. There are 25,000 compounds that are in your food that you could be eating that are medicinal. And a lot of these have been studied for their immune effects. Uh, So whether it's things like curcumin and rosemary, quercetin, for example, onions have quercetin, which we know has important effects against COVID-19. And we also need to uh, help our gut get healthy. So we need to focus on how do we do that. And that is eating pro and prebiotic foods, things like sauerkraut, kimchi, natto, miso, tempeh, uh, unsweetened yogurts, and prebiotic foods, things like asparagus, artichokes, uh, plantains, dandelion greens, leeks, onions, garlic. These are all great, great foods. Seaweed, flax seeds, these are great prebiotic foods. So keeping your gut healthy because 60% of your immune system is in your gut. Lots of fluids, simple, simple things that you can do to upgrade your metabolic health very quickly. Some people say you need to go vegan. There's the famous China study from Colin Campbell that showed that the Chinese, when they started to eat animal protein, they got all these diseases that we already had. And that connection was made. It has been challenged also. But what is your take then ultimately? Do we need animal protein or can we do without? Uh, I think, you know, we're omnivores and we can easily adapt to many different kinds of diets, whether it's a whole foods, high carbohydrate diet, like the Pima Indians had, which was probably 70, 80% carbohydrate or a 70% fat diet, which the Inuit had up in the Arctic circle. Uh, and, and the challenge is when ideology gets in the way of science and ideology gets in the way of biology. And I think the conversation about meat, no meat is really threefold. One, the moral and ethical aspects. And if you're a Buddhist and you have a religious or ethical or moral objection to killing animals and eating them, I respect that. Although it should be pointed out that any kind of agriculture is inherently destructive. There's 7 billion animals killed every year from plant agriculture. Why? Because you're destroying the habitat of natural animals, moles, rabbits, squirrels, birds, insects. So you're really killing seven. If you added the insects, it'd be a lot more, but it's about 7 billion animals. So it's important to understand that you're never going to get out of the the circle of life, as Mufasa said (laughs) in Lion King. Uh, Second is is the the environmental climate issues. And I think these are real. 
So as I said, industrial agriculture is a major contributor to environmental degradation and climate change. And our needs to be stopped. Factory farming of animals is an abomination. It's bad for the animals, bad for humans, bad for the planet. It's inexcusable and it needs to be banned. That doesn't mean that regenerative agriculture, which requires animals, requires animals to be part of an ecosystem of plants and animals to regenerate soil, to store water, to reduce carbon in the environment, to mitigate climate change is bad. In fact, it's essential. Now, you don't have to eat the animals, but they're an essential part of agriculture in terms of helping uh, restore climate change. And I think the third issue is health. Mm. And this is where it gets confusing for people. I think most of the studies done on meat are pretty poor. Most of them done on large populations, which is really hard to draw conclusions around cause and effect. Uh, most have been done on factory farm meat. So we really don't understand the, the full range of this. And, and I think when you look at the uh, recent slew of studies that were published, um, uh, in the Annals of Internal Medicine, uh, there was a pretty rigorous look at randomized trials, observational data, and they could really find no link between poor health and, and animal product intake. So I think we have to sort of get out of this dichotomy of meat bad, meat good. It's not the cow, it's the how. Okay, I'm going to do something a little unfair to you. I'm going to give you a choice. So this is not a very, uh, it's a bit of an unfair choice. Uh, you will be, for this moment, for this particular question, a very powerful man. And you have either, you can have to, to choose between two things you can do for the world. One, you now can give everyone the vaccine against uh, COVID-19. You have that option. But you can also, by executive order, change all the diets of everyone. What's your choice? <laughs> well, if the vaccine we're going to be 100% effective and safe, it would be an easy choice, pick the vaccine. But given that uh, one, vaccine development is difficult, two, that we've never had a coronavirus vaccine, three, that respiratory vaccines are not that effective, they help some people but often don't, um, I, I think, and four, that, that there's concerns about the safety as it's scaled up faster than any other vaccine, which has been four years is the fastest previous vaccine. I, I think I have some concerns about it. I hope it works. I hope it's effective. I hope it's safe. But I think there are challenges. Uh, so that would be immediately changing the diet of the world. And if I were a king or a wizard or God for a day, I would eliminate the industrial food system overnight, and I would uh, raise up a regenerative system that regenerates the earth and the climate and human health um, and make that accessible to everybody. We already know that some studies at least, see, at least seem to show that loneliness is, could be you know, more dangerous for your health than obesity. Yes, loneliness and social isolation are among the biggest killers because it leads to all sorts of stresses on the system that lead to chronic illness and also bad dietary choices and many other things. So the power of connection, love, relationship, community is, is a far underestimated medicine that we all need more of. And I think it's one of the major flaws of our society. It's just the way we've gotten so disconnected from each other. We're, we're also facing enormous economic inequalities, health disparities and racial injustice that we're seeing now bubbling over. Uh, it, it's sort of a powder keg that has exploded. And I think it's a good thing, even though it's causing a lot of trauma and grief. It's, it's raising the, 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 the sort of curtain on all the boils 
and blemishes on our society that need to get fixed. And if we don't do that, it, it's going to be it's going to be a rough ride going forward. Where do you see the hopeful signs? Well, I'm a pathological optimist, so I'm always hopeful, and I believe that uh, in the general goodness of humanity, uh, when given the right conditions and support, uh, and I believe that you know I see so much good being happening now in the world where people are stopping and reevaluating their lives, reevaluating the rat race, reevaluating the the social conditions that we've created, reevaluating so many things about how we live and how our society works and health and economic disparities. And then also working together in some ways. I mean, even though there's a lot of divisiveness, we also see people are social distancing and they're not doing it just for themselves. They're doing it to protect their neighbors. You don't wear a mask for you, you wear it for your neighbor. And I think that speaks a lot to our, our ability as a society to come together to solve problems. And I hope that this will allow us to come together as a, as a nation, as a human community globally and, and work together to solve some of our biggest problems. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Food is medicine. It's the number one tool for creating health and protection against disease. It works fast. We can change our diet and improve our immune system in weeks. That is the inspiring and hopeful message of Dr. Mark Hyman. This was Camp Solutions. Stay well and see you next time. Camp Solutions is presented by the World Business Academy on behalf of Just Capital. The COVID-19 Corporate Response Tracker of Just Capital is tracking the best practices of corporations serving the needs of their employees and of the communities they serve in this time of national crises. See how the best of America's largest employers are treating stakeholders amid the coronavirus crisis at JustCapital.com.